If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter 13 is where we will be. You know, it's often the little things that make a big difference. Um, I started thinking about this. I was talking to Carrie yesterday. As I asked her, what, what are some little things that you can think of that make a big difference? And uh, uh, we came up with a few together. One of the things I thought of was a little pebble in your shoe. You know how... <laughs> I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, when it's on the bottom of your foot, uh, feels about 30 times bigger than it really is. <laughs> if you never notice that, you just get the smallest little thing in there and it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Um, I thought of, she thought of actually a needle on a sewing machine. Great big machine, little tiny needle, but man, it's the most important part, isn't it? Um, the rudder on a ship, your ship, massive ship, turning in the ocean just because of this little rudder. It just goes one way or the other. And that's what makes all the difference. A peanut on an ultrasound. Boy, that can make a big difference, can it? You see, oftentimes it's the little things that make the big difference. Robert, I mean the the baby. Not, yeah. (laughs) He's like, why why is someone taking an ultrasound of a peanut? Little things often make the biggest difference. The kingdom of God is something like that. It's something that, even though it seems small at first, grows and ends up having great effect. Jesus gives us two parables in our passage this morning that show us what the kingdom of God is like. Look with me in Luke chapter 13. We're going to read verses 18 through 21 this morning. If you're able to, would you stand with me? Luke 13, 18 to 21. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Father, may your kingdom come in us and may it make all the difference. Help us hear and obey your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. When we think of the kingdom of God, we often jump straight to a place, heaven, right? We think of streets of gold. We think of the crystal sea. Someone should write a song about that. Um, we think of, we think of a mansion just over the hilltop. That, that'd be another good song. Um, we think of these things because we as people are, we are experience based. We are limited by our senses. And so the easiest thing for us to get are the things that are tangible, the things that are concrete, the things that we can hold, that we can touch, that we can taste, that we can see, that we can smell, that we can hear. It's, it's those things. And while none of us have seen heaven, we've heard a lot about it. We've read about it in the scripture. We've sung hymns about it. We've been told by our moms and dads or grandparents, aunts or uncles or Sunday school teachers or various other folks what heaven is like. And so for us, it's almost tangible, like we can almost touch it and feel it. But the kingdom of God is not just a place. There's a whole lot more to the kingdom than that. The kingdom is something that's a little more abstract. It's the authority, the rule of God in us. 
And so that's not as easy to relate to. That's not as easy for us to grab a hold of. You know, um, a lot of students have problems when they get into algebra because suddenly math has letters. The reason for that is that it's so abstract. It's so different. Math before then, I mean, I know what five is. I mean, five is easy. I know what five is. But X, something that could be about anything, that just, that's harder to comprehend. And it's the same way with the kingdom of God. It's harder for us to get what the kingdom of God is like. And so Jesus says, how can I put this in a way that you'll understand it? How can I help you know what God's kingdom is like? Because people are screwing it up. I mean, we just... We just mess up the whole idea of the kingdom of God. Either we go to a totalitarian extreme of I am going to set these really difficult, strict laws that everybody has to obey and that'll be God's kingdom. Regardless of what the underlying religion is that does that, that misses the point. Or it goes in a completely different way. It goes in a way of I've got my checklist of do's and don'ts. And if I don't check off all these things, then I'm not part of the kingdom of God. Or we go to finger pointing. You don't live by my standards, so you're the one that's wrong, and I'm the one that's right. The kingdom of God is so easy to miss, but it's bad to miss. It's something that is so great once you get it. Once you understand what it is, but more importantly, once you engross yourself in the kingdom and become part of God's authority, God's reign on earth, when you put yourself in subjection to the King of kings and Lord of lords, you find that that's a much better way to live. And so this morning, I want us to have a little bit better idea of what the kingdom of God is because Jesus is trying to give his listeners a little bit better idea of what the kingdom of God is. So let's listen to his words. Let's see what analogies he's drawing so that we can have the cookies on the bottom shelf, so to speak, for us kiddos to be able to get one. Luke 13, 18, he said, therefore, this is right after he heals a woman on the Sabbath day that has had this disabling spirit that has caused her to hunch over for years and years and years, 18 years, um, she has this affliction. But the ruler of the synagogue gets mad because it was the Sabbath. And Jesus recognizes they're missing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God ain't about what day you can heal on and what day you can't heal on. That's not what it's about. And so he decides, I am going to show you what the kingdom of God really is. But how can I put it in a way that you'll get it? How can I help it be more attainable, easier to grab a hold of? He said, therefore, verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. He makes two different analogies in our passage this morning. And the first one is of a mustard seed. Now, mustard seeds are not the smallest seed in the world but they were the smallest seed that was cultivated in the ancient Near East. So of all the people that Jesus is talking to, when you say mustard seed, everybody got the same idea, tiny. Mustard seeds are small, teeny, tiny things. But yet, they demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like. And they demonstrate it in a couple of ways. You see, first, the kingdom, just like a mustard seed, 
is quite small. Um, God's kingdom is not often big. People want to be part of something big. They want to be part of this grand movement. And in one way it is. God's kingdom has been going on for 2,000 years, but it has very humble beginnings, doesn't it? And oftentimes when, when you begin to experience the kingdom of God for yourself, it's a humble beginning. It's a small thing. You may not even realize it. It might just be someone you know that's talking a little bit about God. You may have grown up in church listening to a Sunday school teacher teaching you simple things, things like Jesus loves people or things like God takes care of us. You know, the things you teach the two and the three-year-olds in, in, in those classes that where they're not really listening to you very much, but they're having a lot of fun and they're picking up a lot more than what you might realize. You see... The kingdom often has very humble beginnings. Just like the mustard seed is very small. Oftentimes the kingdom of God is sometimes even imperceivable. You don't even realize what God is doing in your heart. I can point back now, now that I've been a Christian for so long, and now that I've seen God working his plan out uh, as much as I have. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I, I know everything. I don't. Trust me, I don't. My wife will tell you that. But... I can say that looking back, I can see things that God was doing before I was saved at nine years old, mind you. I can see things that God was doing in the very very beginning parts of my life before I came to know him. You see, it often has humble beginnings. I didn't recognize them then, but now I do. Now I can look back and say, yep, that was God. That had to be God. I can point to... um, all kinds of instances in my life where at first they just they didn't seem significant, but it was God working his plan. Oftentimes the kingdom of God starts small, seemingly insignificant, but it doesn't stay small for long. That kingdom, just like that seed, is also sown. Do you remember the parable of the sower? What was the seed in that story? The, king, the, the word of God. God sows his word and as he sows his word and as his word is proclaimed by men who are giving it out who are preaching it who are teaching it who are living it who are who are talking to people about it as the word of God is being proclaimed it is being sown into the hearts of men and so is the kingdom of God see God uses his word God uses his word to begin the work of the kingdom to continue the work of the kingdom to fulfill the work of the kingdom. And so this kingdom is sown, and just like a seed, it grows. Mustard seeds, mustard is technically an herb, but if you let it grow, it'll grow over 10 feet tall. That's a tree. Yeah, it's pretty astounding what that tiny little seed can become. It's it's pretty crazy. You see, the kingdom of God grows. It doesn't just stay a little tiny insignificant thing, does it? It grows in men's hearts who are good soil. And we'll look at that more in just a couple of minutes because the second one really brings that out. But this first one, oftentimes we talk about that and we say, well, that's the big lesson in all this is that the kingdom of God keeps growing and growing and growing. Like a small seed that becomes a big tree, the kingdom of God keeps growing and keeps expanding. That's not all that Jesus says though. In fact, that leads to the next thing that Jesus says that I think may even be a little bit more important, at least in this first analogy. 
And that's that the kingdom shelters those who indwell it. We see what's unique about the first parable is the end result. Jesus doesn't just stop with a growing seed. He talks about the benefit that that tree provides. The birds of the air make nests in its branches. It becomes big enough that it can support life. A place for birds to dwell, to find shelter and shade. That little mustard seed has grown so much that birds can live in its branches. The kingdom of God, too, provides that same kind of shelter. Psalm 91 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adler, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, does that mean it's all hunky-dory? Does that mean nothing bad ever happens? No, but you'd be amazed when you're living in God's kingdom just how much peace it affords. You'd be amazed just what God does when you're dwelling in him. And that's the first point that I really, the big thing that I really want you to see about the kingdom of God is that it provides a shelter for those who indwell it. When we put ourselves in the kingdom of God, we get his protection. Bad things can happen. Disease, famine, danger. Bad things can happen to our stuff. Bad things can happen to our family. Bad things can happen to us. Don't believe me, ask Job. But... Don't fear the ones who can take the body. Don't fear the ones that can only kill, and that's it. Fear the one that can destroy your soul, right? What Jesus tells us is that there's only so much evil that others can do to us, and then it stops. There's no further they can go. As bad as people can be, God limits them in their effect. And the kingdom of God provides a shelter that allows even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of rain, a place of peace, a place of dryness, a place of rest. Put yourself in the kingdom of God and dwell there and experience his shelter. Jesus makes that one comparison and then he thinks, well, I need something else. That that describes it, but it, it could use more description. Remember when we were talking in the Proverbs, we talked about parallelism, how one line will often feed off of the line before it. Jesus is kind of doing that here. 
The second parable feeds off of the first, but expands it in a different direction so we can get a more complete picture. And so he says, verse 20, and again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? How can I say this so that you will really get it? Verse 21, it is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Once again, Jesus is putting the heavenly truth in an earthly spear, something that we can grab a hold of. But this time, he uses an object that's not exactly always a positive analogy. Yeast is used throughout the Old Testament as an analogy to sin. It's the Israelites being told, get rid of all the yeast. You should have no yeast in your house for the Passover. Get rid of it all. Find it. In fact, today, Jews... uh, uh, Devout Jews will hide little packets of yeast around the house like we hide Easter eggs for the kids to find. Teaching them that we're to have no yeast in our house because what yeast does is it degrades. It, it eats away. It, it, it Almost like corruption. It just eats away at you. Yeast will eat away. It feeds off of the sugars in the dough. That's why when your bread bakes, it has all these holes in it. It's because of the yeast. Rabbis talked about yeast in the same kind of way as being corruption. Even some philosophers, Jewish philosophers, even think of yeast in these kinds of terms. Jesus even talks about yeast in these kinds of terms, telling his followers to avoid the leaven of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of their day who were not authentic in their faith. But here, he uses it positively. He says the kingdom of God is like yeast. So what in the world can leaven teach us about the kingdom of God? Well, like yeast, it's hidden. Just as leaven gets incorporated into the dough through kneading, you put it in there, you knead, and you mix that dough all up so the kingdom of God should be mixed into us, kneaded in to who we are. Not just, not just, it's not like a, a little trinket that you put on your shelf at home. It's more like yeah, uh, more like yeast that you mix into the dough, right? And once it gets mixed in, then something else happens. It begins to shape the one who incorporates it. You see, um, yeast, when you work it into the dough, it gets into all the dough, right? That's the whole point of the kneading process is to get it all thoroughly mixed together and then... And then you proof it and you bake it and it shapes the bread. It makes the bread rise. Not only fill the container, but overfill the container in many cases. Have you ever made muffins only to find out that you had one big muffin with a whole lot of little bases because you put way too much in there? You ever done that? I've done that before. You see, the kingdom shapes the one who incorporates it. Just as the one who dwells within the kingdom finds shelter, the one in whom the kingdom dwells finds that their life is completely different. Paul says to the Galatian church in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That was a saying of the day. He was talking about sin in that case, but the same is true of the kingdom of God. You put a little bit in there and you mix it in, it suddenly begins to affect the way you live. And it doesn't just affect one little aspect here or there. It affects everything. It affects the way we think about others. 
We begin to see them the way that God sees them instead of the way that we like to see them. Instead of looking at them with prejudice or with malice or with jealousy, we begin to look at them with love and compassion. Instead of looking at them as though they are an enemy, we look at them as though they need Jesus. We look at them as though they are real human beings with real value and that their life matters to God and to us. And it's not just a cliche. It's not just a hashtag on a Twitter page. It's actual real life how we live. Because God begins to change us. As the kingdom gets incorporated into us, it begins to shape who we are. It shapes the way we think about sin. How it used to be fun. It used to be engaging. It used to be something to chase after. Now we look at it and it's just despicable. It's horrible. We don't want it anywhere around us anymore. People that struggle for years and years and years with sins sometimes find that when they accept Christ, suddenly the whole attitude is different and I don't want that anymore. It completely changes. It changes the way we talk to other people. We don't use words that are inflammatory. We don't use words that that beat people down. We use words that encourage and build up. We use words that sometimes slap people in the face because they need a slap in the face, but we're not doing it to slap them in the face. We're doing them so they'll repent, so they'll turn back, so they'll do what they need to do. You don't, you don't discipline a child because you hate the child. You discipline a child because you love the child. And sometimes the way that we talk to others, we talk to them like we hate them, like we despise them, like we, like we want to set them down as being nothing, as being insignificant. But that's not how God talks to us. God's word to us demonstrates love while speaking truth. And so it changes when, when the kingdom of God gets in us. It begins to shape us and it begins to form us into, a, into people who speak truth in love. Instead of just speaking truth or just speaking namby-pamby love that has nothing to do with truth. It changes the way we approach our problems. Instead of it being just a bad problem that, oh, I've got to deal with this too. It becomes a dealing with things head on. Dealing with difficulty straight. We don't beat around the bush because there's no need for that. We deal with it head on. We deal fairly and compassionately with people that we often sometimes would think of as enemies, but now God's changed our heart toward them. Now we can deal with them the right way, recognizing they're not the enemy. We we do this while we uphold goodness and justice, not a brand of justice, not of justice with an adjective in front of it, just, just straight, pure, true justice. See, it's not about making one bigger than another or one more important than another. You ever noticed that on those, on the Supreme Court building and on, on court buildings with the, or out in front of court buildings with a statue of Lady Justice, she's always blindfolded because she doesn't care. She doesn't care. It doesn't matter who the person is in front of her. She seeks to rule rightly, right? That's, that, that's the idea of the blindfold. And then there's the balanced scales in her hands. Nobody's going to get preference. I'm not going to do one thing to one person and a different thing to a different person. You see, part of our problem is that we want to, we either want to prefer one to another or we try to make up for a past wrong 
by committing another wrong. And they're both wrong. They're both wrong. Justice knows what's right and does what's right. Even if the past has been wrong, it doesn't matter. See, it changes the way we approach our problems. We don't just approach our problems looking to win. We don't just approach arguments looking to be right. It changes everything about who we are and about what we do. It changes the things we do when we're alone, when nobody else is watching. It changes the way that we we live our lives even when we think there are no prying eyes. We live in private in keeping with God's commands. It's being the same person all the way through. There's this, there's this candy bar uh, a British author wrote about, this candy bar that if you cut it, it has the name, uh, the bar is a chocolate bar and it has white chocolate, the name of the bar. And anywhere you cut into that bar, that name goes all the way through it. That, that kind of integrity, that it doesn't matter what, what's going on, it doesn't matter what the circumstances, you see the same character of person all the way throughout. See, that's a mark of the kingdom of God. Because we're good at putting up facades. We're good at putting up a false, fake front so that nobody sees the bad stuff that's underneath. Not in the kingdom of God. No need for that. You see, it changes the things that we value. We begin to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and then everything else. God will take care of that. We don't seek after the stuff. We don't seek after the pleasures. We don't seek after all the things that have so many people blinded to their need for a Savior. We seek after Christ himself. And we do it because the kingdom of God has shaped us, helping us see things in a purer way, helping us to see what's really going on, helping us to see that the stuff doesn't matter nearly as much as the one who made us and who loves us, it changes the things we value. It changes the way we worship. We don't come to God on our own terms. We don't seek to employ whatever worship we deem essential or we deem necessary or we, we deem as practical or efficient or effective. It changes the way we worship because we no longer have to have the false gods and the idols. There's so many that think that they're worshiping God, but they're really worshiping something else. Oh, you might be singing words that sing praise to God, but your heart is far from him. And we got to be careful because it can be even good things. It can be a hymn book or a screen. I've seen churches divided because people were worshiping a screen or a hymn book and not worshiping the God that we were supposed to be praising. It changes everything. Just like leaven changes the entire lump of dough The kingdom of God changes your entire being. So are you letting God's kingdom affect you? Are you resting in his branches? Are you letting his word shape you into his image? I pray that you are. But if you're not, reach out to me. Comment on this video. You can uh, email the, the email address. You can get a hold of me. You've got my phone number. Call me. I want to help you live in the kingdom. And I want to help the kingdom live in you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that as we consider your word this morning, how the kingdom of heaven is is like a mustard seed that starts small and becomes so great that it, it provides shelter to birds, that your kingdom would grow so great in our lives that we would find shelter in you. God, I pray that as yeast 
gets worked into dough and shapes that dough. Father, I pray that we would work your words into our hearts, into our lives, that it shapes all of us, that it impacts everything we are and everything we say and everything we do. Father, be glorified as your kingdom comes and as your will is done in me and in all of us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.